And hello once again and welcome to the Mecca Sports Talk. I'm your host Keith Dewar for this Sunday, November the 21st, 2021. And as you know by now, obviously, the Mets have hired Billy Epler as the general manager of the Mets, finally hiring somebody because nobody wanted to either interview with the team or take the position with the team. But the Mets have finally got their man, Billy Epler, new general manager of the New York Metropolitans. Before I discuss this, uh, of course, if you want to listen to the podcast, you can follow me on Spotify. You can follow me on Instagram at the Mecca Sports Talk. You can follow me on Facebook. You could also follow me uh, if you could you could type in the Mecca Sports Talk on Google, and you'll find my podcast there as well. You could also send an email with any question, opinion, comment, whatever, to the Mecca Sports Talk at gmail.com. So, getting to this agreement with Billy Epler, a four-year contract they gave him to basically bring the Mets back to prominence, uh, you know, to me it feels like just a whatever move, honestly. You know, Billy Epler has not lit it up, per se, during his tenure, did not light it up during his tenure in Anaheim with the Angels. Yes, they did bring in Shohei Otani, the MVP of the 2021 season for the American League. He also signed Trout to a 12-year, $430 million deal. They also signed Anthony Rendon to a 7-year, $245 million disaster. And if you look at the trades that the Angels have done over the last 5-6 years, you would probably say, for the most part, they were whatever, really. I mean, what significant trade in the last six years, would you say that the Angels have made? And I had the list right here. I mean, 2017-2018 offseason, they got Ian Kinsler from the Tigers. He was basically finished by that point. They got Jim Johnson from the Braves in the same offseason. That was whatever. I mean, there's no significant move I see here at all, to be honest, over the six years. I mean, they got Dylan Bundy in the 2019-2020 offseason. And yes, he had a really good 2020 season, but it was an abbreviated season. And then we saw the true Dylan Bundy last season for the Angels. So if you look at his overall, uh, the overall moves he's made in these six seasons in Anaheim, you'd probably give him about a C plus, I would say. I think that's fair. Uh, you know, you really can't go much more than that. Maybe a B minus because of the fact that, you know, Trout's obviously their franchise player. They brought in Otani. But we're going to see now about Otani because now he's got not only an MVP, but he has a desire to win. And the Angels have not been a winning franchise, as we know, for a very long time. And Trout has only been in the playoffs once. And they ain't go anywhere. So, Otani's main thing is he wants to win. And if they don't win in the next year or two, he's gone. I don't think there's any question about it. He'll, he will bolt for another high payroll type of team. So, that is something definitely to watch over the next year or two to see if the Angels can resurrect things and get back to the playoffs. Now, he signed Noah Syndergaard the other day for $21 million for a year. And honestly, that's the kind of move that this team needs to make. Because 
You look at Syndergaard, hey, he has the stuff. He just has not been able to put it together because of injuries. So when you look at the move, you got to say, hey, this is a move they have to make. See, you know, throw something against the wall, see what sticks, and hope that it works out. You know, they, they can't afford to be signing anybody for a ridiculous amount of money when you have so much money already tied up in Rendon and you have so much money already tied up in Trout. So those, those two guys alone, you're looking at, you know, $65, $70 million. So right now, the Angels, I mean, they're kind of strapped because now you signed Syndergaard for $21 million. And right now, the Angels, hey, again... They need to make the playoffs next year or the year after and show Shohei Otani that they're trying to win, they want to win, they want to have that winning culture, and to keep and you gotta keep Otani. You have to keep Otani at this point. You have to do anything that you can to keep him. So a move that they did like that with Syndergaard, hey, they're trying. But whether it works out or not remains to be seen. I mean, Syndergaard's thrown two winnings in the last two years combined. So it's a very, very, very risky move. But if they could get 120, 130 innings out of Syndergaard, you'll probably take it because at the end of the day, I think he'll put up decent numbers. Now, moving from the National League to the American League... And honestly, it would have been probably nicer if he went to the American League Central as opposed to the American League West when you still have a a lethal Astros lineup. You have an improving Seattle lineup who's only going to get better. Texas is obviously pretty bad right now. But you would imagine at some point you'll see some improvement from them. They got some prospects coming. And Oakland, well, Oakland, hey, You never know what you're going to see out of that team. I mean, right now they're looking to blow things up out there. Matt Olson's on the trade block. Matt Chapman's on the uh, trade block. They got a whole slew of guys in the trade block. Because, of course, as usual, payroll is an issue for this team. And it continues on and on and on. Year after year with this franchise. But, funny thing is, they seem to always find a way to have a winning record. So we'll see what happens with that. But getting back to Epler, I think, hey, again, it's a safe move, you know, because of the fact that you weren't able to get Theo Epstein. You weren't able to get all these different guys that were out there available. Nobody wanted to interview, you know, Stearns in Milwaukee, who apparently has a good relationship with Billy Epler. They're talking about after his contract expires at the next season, that he might join the Mets also, kind of a tandem role with with Epler. So we'll see how that works itself out. But as we know with the Mets, they got a busy, busy offseason ahead. And right now, obviously, with the lockout looming, and there's going to be a lockout because we're only 10 days away. And, and what have you heard, basically, about any movement regarding the contract negotiations between the ownership between the owners, excuse me, and the players' union. You haven't heard anything, really. You know, behind the scenes, obviously, they're doing things, yes, but are they going to come to an agreement in 10 days? No, they're not. There's going to be a lockout, and we're going to have to wait and see how long it is before they do come to an agreement. You know you're going to see DH in both leagues. 
The biggest thing, obviously, right now is the fact that what are they going to do about the luxury tax? Are they going to keep it where it is now? Are they going to lower it slightly, which is the rumor going around right now? They're going to lower the luxury tax a little bit, the threshold. And then, obviously, you know, hey, players' salaries have steadied off the last couple of years. And baseball's making a ton of money. So you know the players' union, which is very strong, is going to hold firm. And they're not going anywhere. They're going to stand pat and wait for the owners to cave. There's too much money on the line, though. So, and obviously the good thing is that this is happening in December, November, December, and not August, like 1994, when obviously they didn't come to an agreement, they locked out, there was no World Series, they didn't get to an agreement till late in March of, 20, of 1995, and they had to play a 144-game season. So that was, you know, terrible. But right now, from the Mets' standpoint with Billy Epler, again, I think it's a safe move, it's a whatever move, I don't think it's, you know... Obviously, it's going to come down to what he does, what moves he makes. He has the payroll because Stevie Cohen's going to spend money. We know that's, without a shadow of a doubt, going to happen. But this team has a lot of decisions to make, as do many other teams, including the other team in the Bronx. But from a Mets standpoint, the starting pitching is the biggest thing right now because Jacob DeGrom... You're hoping he's healthy for 2022. You got to see about Stroman. Are you going to sign him? What are you going to do with him? They already lost Syndergaard. So they got a lot of issues in that starting rotation right now. What are they going to do? David Peterson was hurt all last year, basically. Is he going to be in the rotation next year? You figure they got to sign a 1A type of guy to complement DeGrom. You know, Tyquan Walker will be back for next year. You saw what he did. He was great the first half. He tailed off significantly in the second half, which had to be expected because he had not thrown a lot of innings in the last few years. He had been hurt. And that's why you think, you know, this whole thing with Syndergaard going to the Angels for $21 million, how many innings are you realistically going to get out of him? He's not throwing 200 innings. I mean, for that matter, who is these days? I think there was only five guys that threw 200 innings last year, which is insanity. But that's the way baseball is now. I mean, Corbin Burns won the Cy Young with 160-something innings. Beat out Zach Wheeler, who threw the most innings in baseball last year, I believe 217 and change. So that, you know, again, uh, you know, we know how baseball is right now. But as far as what the Mets got to focus on in the offseason, you know they're not bringing back Conforto. Stroman is, you know, going to be a question. He's not a big strikeout guy. He's going to want a lot of money. And, you know, he deserves to get good money. He threw, he had a good season last year for the Mets. He didn't get a lot of run support. And that's the thing. Like, I'm talking about them needing starting pitching. Well, heck, not for nothing... The offense needs to step it up too. Because quite honestly, that's the reason the Mets stunk last year. Especially in the second half of the year. Because their offense couldn't do anything. 
I mean, you look at Alonzo, and I've, I've said this multiple times. When you look at the Met roster offensively last year, there was literally one guy in that team that met or exceeded expectations offensively, and his name was Pete Alonzo. Every single other guy in that team didn't produce. That was a full-time player for the whole season. I mean, Javi Baez came in. His OPS was over 900 for the Mets. He had a great two months with the Mets, minus the couple of nagging injuries that he had. But from, but if you look at everybody else, I mean, it was terrible. Jeff McNeil basically turned into, you know, part-time player, essentially, or deservedly so, a part-time player. He stunk. He stunk it up. And we know about Lindor, who was a total disaster and a head case. And good luck with that contract now, because that's going to be a disaster, a total disaster of a contract. Especially if he doesn't return to his ways like he was in Cleveland. And I don't think you're going to see anything remotely close to that at this point when it comes to being uh, in Queens with the Mets, with Lindor. So, again, Epler's got a lot of work to do with this team. You know, and again, I think it's a safe move. You know, it's not earth-shattering, this and that. It's not a Theo Epstein type of thing. And yes, Epler has a history with the Yankees because he was basically with Cashman for several years, the right-hand man. And you know what? I mean, you could say, yeah, that's great. He was with the Yankees. Well, you know, not for nothing. They also, he's, he's partially responsible, most likely, for the fact that they brought in Jacoby Ellsbury because he was with the Yankees when the Yankees brought in Ellsbury. In what was one of the worst friggin' contracts in history. So we're going to see what they do in Queens, in Flushing. I'm going to sit back and wait and see what happens. Obviously, we got to wait and see about this lockout situation. That's the biggest thing. It's going to impact everybody. From the Mets to Pittsburgh to L.A., you name it. Top to bottom. You know, baseball's got a big issue right now. They got a lot of money. And they got to figure out a way to divvy it up among everybody. To keep everybody happy. Because the last thing they need is, a, is an extended lockout. Coming off a pandemic. Which is still going on. So right now, the Mets got themselves a lot of decisions to make. Luckily, you have Cohen as your owner. And you don't have the Wilpons as your, as your owner uh, ownership group right now. So I think, you know, you'll, you'll, it's going to play the wait-and-see approach. You know, the Mets fans, I feel like, are kind of like, eh, about the hire. Obviously, if it was a Theo Epstein, you would have been ecstatic because he's resurrected the Red. He resurrected uh, resurrected the Red Sox. He resurrected the, the the Cubs. Both teams with hexes for decades and decades finally won a championship or championships in Boston. So it would have been nice to get him if you're a Met fan, but. 
you know, you're settling on, uh, you, you wanted the caviar and you kind of settled on, uh, you know, I don't know, sirloin steak. Or whatever at this point. Not the cream of the crop. You know, you, you settled for middle middle of the ground, middle of the road. So I think we'll see how that goes. As far as the uh, the awards that MLB gave out, I'm not totally surprised by most of them. I would say the two that I were I was surprised about was NL Cy Young. I thought that it would go probably. I thought it was going to be Scherzer to be honest, just because of the fact that he came to LA and he was, I mean, unhittable, totally unhittable. I really thought, you know, you could give it to him, you could give it to Wheeler, and it turned out that Burns is the guy that won it. So it was a bit of a surprise there. And the other surprise would have been uh, NL MVP, because I, I did not expect Harper to win, and I know Harper had a phenomenal second half of the season for the Phillies. But if you look at the number of games that Tatis played, and I think you probably got to throw the fact that the Padres just totally collapsed in the last 50 games of the season. And, you know, Tatis did miss a bundle of games, but look at his numbers in the limited amount of time that he played. I mean, he was dominant. So to me, I would have probably have given him the MVP just based on the fact that you're talking about a guy that put up, I mean, you know, what, almost 40 home runs? He missed about 45, 50 games or so in that ballpark. You know, how do you, I I don't know. I would have given it to him. You know, Philadelphia came close to getting in the playoffs, but they didn't quite get over the hump. So I think, you know, I would have given it to, I would have given it to Tatis over, uh, over Harper. But Harper wins his second MVP. And obviously, right now, hey, hey, you look at that team, you know, you have Wheeler, you have Nola at the top of the rotation. The bullpen is always an issue with that franchise. You know, they, they're they a weird team, though, you know, because they're, they're in that 82, 83, 84, 85 win area, you know, something between upper 70s, mid 80s. They got to get to that next level. They got to get to that 90 win plateau. Uh, number or so. I mean, the Braves won a championship with 88 wins this year. But right now, I I think from a Philadelphia standpoint, you got to get that horse in the bullpen. You got to get a bridge to the closer. And they got to see something next year out of uh, that third baseman. I mean, you know, he was sent down this year. I mean, how do you, you know, Alec Baum, I mean, how do you, and he was a bum. Baum was a bum. And he needs to step it up next year. Because that is a huge issue. If he doesn't work itself out, he doesn't work himself out. A huge issue for Philadelphia. So they have definitely got to see something out of him next year. And what do they do about shortstop? You got DD. Well, DD's a free agent. 
Do they go after one of the big boys at shortstop? We'll have to see. And that gets me to the Bronx Bombers. Because right now, what have we seen so far in the offseason? And I know there's going to be a lockout in this and that. But there's rumors going around that the Yankees are not going to go after a shortstop. And that they're going to wait and see till 2023 when one of their big prospects comes up. I mean, not for nothing. This team has issues, obviously, on offense. And we know they got issues in the starting pitching, which need to be addressed. So if you're not going to go after a big shortstop, then you need to bring in Robbie Ray. Or you need to bring in somebody else that's a quote-unquote ace or something close to it to complement Cole at the top of the rotation. You know, Robbie Ray seems to be the guy that makes the most sense because he's a lefty. He's pitched in the AL East. And he just came off of Cy Young. Which also means he's going to want a ton of money. Because he's also a Boris guy. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what sort of contract you're going to give him. You know, 5 for 125. I, I don't know what the number exactly would be. He's going to get a ton of money no matter what. He's going to have a lot of suitors, no matter what, going after him. So the Yankees have got to do something. Because if you don't get Robbie Ray, and you don't get, uh, you don't get another guy to compliment Cole, well, then you got to go get a shortstop. Because you got to improve the offense some way, shape, or form. And you mean, you, are you going to sign Rizzo? What are you doing about left field? You know, not for nothing, they cut Clint Frazier, which gets me irritated because he was involved in some of these trades that they didn't do over the last couple of years because they didn't want to give up Frazier. Now they get rid of Frazier, they get nothing for him. You know, Odor, whatever, Tyler Wade, whatever, expendable because they got to keep some of these guys to protect them in the uh, the Rule 5 draft. Got to put them on the 40-man roster. You know, the Frazier move irritates me. Now, of course, he may never play again because of his vertigo or dizziness issues, whatever the heck he has going on. Hopefully he's okay. But that annoys me. Totally annoys me. Because he could have been a part of a trade that, hey, they could have gotten whoever it may have been. Another starting pitcher, another offensive player that would have helped them, this and that. They didn't trade him, though. And now you got nothing for him. So that's irritating, to say the least. But what are they going to do? Are they going to get a shortstop? Are they not going to get a shortstop? I mean, to me, I think you got to go get a starting pitcher. You want to get yourself a stopgap guy at shortstop? Fine. But that also means then you need to bring him. You need to bring Rizzo back. Plus, what are you doing about third base? Where and where are you putting DJ Lemayhew? Are you putting him at third? You're not going to put him at second, most likely, because you're going to have Glaber there, unless you're trading him. And then what are you doing at first base? Because you still got Luke Voigt to deal with. And then left field, are you going to put Stanton out there more, more often? Or are you going to get yourself somebody else? Actually, you can't even do that, now that I think of it, because you have Joey Gallo still. So what the heck are you going to do there? Stanton's your DH, basically. Because you're going to have Hicks back next year making $10 million a year to suck ass. 
And then, of course, what do you do about Judge? Because Judge is a free agent after 2022, and he's going to want a hell of a lot of money, and deservedly so, because, again, if he stays on the field, he's one of the best players in the game. There's no question about it. You know, he proved that last year. He had a phenomenal last two months. He had a great season. He was fourth in the MVP voting. So I I think right now, they got a lot of decisions to make, the Yankees. And I'm not confident because they got Cashman still running the friggin' show with this damn franchise. But from the Mets' standpoint, Billy Epler, eh. We'll wait and see what he does. First and foremost, the Mets have got to get a number two starting pitcher. Whether they keep... And Stroman's not a number two. Let's get that straight for a second. He's not a number two guy. He's a number three guy. He's not a number two. So that's what you got to go get if you're the Mets. Maybe they go after Robbie Ray. I mean... Why wouldn't they at this stage? You should. You should. He's proven he's a horse at the top of the rotation. He did it in Toronto. He did it in the AL East. I mean, when you're going to face, you know, the likes of Miami every five days or whatever, whenever you play him, maybe you pitch up to six times against the Marlins each year. And Washington, who right now has Soto and nobody other than that. I mean, you're looking at 10 to 12 starts potentially against two bottom feeder teams. And what about that franchise, Washington? You know, they've gone down the tubes, as we've seen. You know, you have a... And Soto finished second in MVP voting, which is even more phenomenal to fathom because he had nobody around him. I mean, they traded Trey Turner. They've had no Rendon now for a while. But holy smokes. And, you know, you still got Strasburg, who's hurt, making a bundle of money. So that's your bottom feeder team next year. I mean, I think the Marlins will probably even be better than the Nationals next year, depending on what happens. But, but, I mean, damn, I, I would, you know, I'd love to go pitch in the NL East right now. When you got those two teams to deal with, pitch around Soto all game. And let these other uh, quadruple-A players beat you. So, I, I think the Mets need to, if they're not going to get that, well, they got to get themselves another hitter, too. Clearly, we know that. As I discussed before with their offense, they've got to get themselves somebody that could be a difference maker offensively. And they've got the money. So I don't want to hear no excuses at this point. But they got to get the right guys. You know, and Epler, again, as I said, his history with the Angels and this and that is he's a mixed bag. So switching over to basketball for a couple of minutes, and I will be back on also in a little bit to do my football for Week 11. I uh, took a bye in Week 10, by the way. Uh... So I will give my picks for week 11 in a little bit, part two of my podcast. But getting to basketball and the Knicks, 
you know, I watched a game last night they played against the Rockets, and man, oh man, I, you know, I am extremely annoyed with this team. Extremely annoyed. You know, they struggled to beat the friggin' Rockets. The Rockets have lost like 14 games in a row. The Rockets are a pitiful team. Pitiful. And the Knicks almost lost to them last night. I mean, what the hell is going on with this team? You know, they're nine and seven, and you would, and honestly, it feels like the Knicks are like five and eleven with the way they played this year, and it's most especially due to the starting lineup, and especially the two guards, the two starting guards, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. Evan Fournier was given seventy-two million dollars for four years. He sucks right now. Yeah, he could shoot the three. Whoop de doo. So could everybody else in the friggin' league these point at this point. Whether you're five foot ten or you're seven foot three. Everybody shoots the damn three now. Everybody shoots the three. And you know what? I'm really it it's the Knicks took a step forward that last year, winning forty one games, losing thirty one, getting into the playoffs, they lose to the Hawks in the first round. And you thought coming into this offseason, you know, they got a lot of money to spend. They're going to be their team on the upper, on the upswing. And I bought into that nonsense. But right now, I mean, damn, you look at this team. They can't win a home game. They barely won against the Rockets last night at home. You know, they've lost to Toronto. They've lost to Orlando twice at home. They almost lost opening night to the Celtics and got lucky because Fournier had a great game, which was basically the only great game he's had since he came to since he put on the orange and blue. But right now, you look at this team; they can't they can't shoot to save their lives. They're shooting forty four percent as a team right now. Yeah, they're shooting thirty eight percent from three. That's wonderful. But this team needs a guard, a a bona fide guard at the one or the two to get this team to the next level. Because right now, you look at Walker and you look at Fournier, you know, and they're just, they're mostly the same player. They're all right. They're not an impactful player, either of them. And I know it's all about now trying to penetrate into the paint and shipping it out to a guy to to fire up a three. But the Knicks, you know, the Knicks needed to go out and try to find a way to get Damian Lillard in the offseason. You know, and you gave, I know, and I understand, Randall had a phenomenal year last year. You gave him all this friggin' money now. And he hasn't been great either. And nor has the starting lineup as a whole. And R.J. Barrett too. R.J. Barrett had a phenomenal game in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago. But other than that, what has he done? He hasn't done anything special. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter last night. Because Alec Burks went bozo and hit five three-pointers in the fourth quarter. You know, I'm trying to find the Knicks stats right now. As a team, 
and because and, it just it's irritating. You know, you come the Knicks, the Knicks bring in the reserves. They bring in Obi Toppin. They bring in uh, Burks, who needs more playing time, by the way. But unfortunately, that's going to come at the expense of Barrett mostly. You know, right now you look at let's see. Trying to bring up the stats for the team because I, I, it's really irritating seeing what this team is doing right now. Now, here you go. Okay. R.J. Barrett, he's shooting 39% from the field. Fournier is shooting 41%. Quickly shooting 39%. Julius Randle shooting 40%. And currently, he's averaging just under 20 a game, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. Okay, I mean, those numbers are, you know, not too many guys in the league are doing those three things. Cumulatively. But, I mean, up and down the roster, who the hell is shooting good on this team? I mean, you know, Obi Toppin's averaging almost 8 points a game in 15 minutes. I mean, he he has stepped it up this year. He's showing more confidence. And he's he's been a spark plug for the team. Kemba Walker, though, I mean, you know, look. I know they got him off the scrap heap, so to speak, because the Celtics, you know, whatever. But, I mean, he's shooting 43% in 25 minutes. He's averaging 12 points, three assists for a point guard. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just not feeling it with this, with these guys. You know, and, he, and it's like, what do you do though? What do you do? You can't put Derrick Rose in the starting lineup because he's old. I mean, you're only going to get about 25 minutes out of him, realistically. Maybe you could squeeze 28 minutes out of him. You're not going to put quickly in the starting lineup, so they're kind of stuck now. You know, because you got Fournier, who again, other than that one game against the Celtics, the first game of the season, he's been terrible for the most part. He's been terrible. He's shooting 36% from three. We didn't bring him in here to shoot 36% from three. Making $72 million for four years. This is not what we signed up for. He's averaging 12.5 points a game. I mean, the rest of his stats are basically zeros. I mean, he's he's averaging two assists, three rebounds in 28 minutes a game. You know, the one thing you can say about the Knicks, yes, they have depth. Because look at how many games that the benches come in and provide a spark or got them back in the game. I mean, we've seen that a number of times this year with the Knicks. Where you're bringing in the second unit, and all of a sudden, they look like a totally different team. So I don't know what Thibodeau is going to do with the starting lineup. Because right now, again, it's just the cohesiveness of this starting lineup is just not mixing well. And again, you know, and I've said this the last two years, and you know, now this is year number three for him. But R.J. Barrett is supposed to be the number two guy in this team. And he's shown flashes of being the number two guy for the team. 
But there's too many games still with this guy where he's invisible out there and not providing what the team needs. Especially on the statistical side, because again, you know, he's averaging 15 points, five and a half rebounds, two two assists. He's shooting under 40%. He's shooting 31% from three. And averaging 33 minutes a game, the second most in the team. I mean, that's not good enough. It's not good enough. He's the number three pick. He was the number three pick in the draft a couple of years ago. And I know Zion Williamson, the number one pick, has not worked out because he's, you know, now he's ballooned to 300 pounds. He hasn't played a game yet this year. And New Orleans is obviously probably looking at themselves and saying we should have signed Morant. And I wish the Knicks would have gotten him because that's the guy the Knicks need. The Knicks need an impactful guard on this team. If they had one, then I think the Knicks would be an upper echelon team in the Eastern Conference. But because of the fact that you do not have an impactful guard in a league where you need to have an impactful guard on your team at the very least to be able to do something deep into the postseason, the Knicks are not going to go anywhere. The answer is not on this team right now. Plain and simple at guard. When you look at their... their all the guards they have in this team, what they have right now is not impacting the team positively enough at all. And it's not going to. You know, can they even make a trade for a guy like Lillard at this point if he wanted out of Portland? Or if they can constitute something for him? Can he even get it done? I mean, to me, the answer is No. I don't think the I don't think there's a way to get it done at this stage. I mean, you look at the East right now. I mean, look at the Wizards. The Wizards have been playing great. The Nets are 12 and 5 and it doesn't feel like that they're 12 and 5, but they are. The Bulls are 11 and 5. The Heat are 11 and 6. The Hornets just beat the Wizards and the the Warriors, the two number one teams in the East East and the West, respectively. I mean, and those are your top six. The Knicks are fifth right now, which, you know, is a miracle. But if you look at the rest of the East, you know, the Bucks are in ninth right now. They're 9-8. They're not going to stay there. Philadelphia's got all sorts of issues. Yeah, we know that with the whole thing with Ben Simmons. They're 9-8, and eight, and they miss an Embiid. So, I mean, you know, that that's a, that, that's another thing. And the, and the Hawks are 8-9. and nine. They're in 11th. They're not going to stay there. And realistically, you look at these teams that are on, on the top of the East right now, you know the Nets are staying up there, and the Bulls look like they're for real. And the Heat are going to be there. You know, so the Knicks, I mean, right now... Are they a top six team in the East? I mean, you got to probably say they're not the way they look right now. And until that offense, until the until the starting five of the Knicks starts to play with more cohesion and are difference makers out there in the court, 
especially Randall and especially R.J. Barrett, this team is just going to kind of chug along. I mean, Orlando has four wins. The Knicks lost to them twice at home. Totally inexcusable. I don't understand. Their record at home is what? They're four and five at home. They're five and two on the road. It doesn't make any sense. But when you look at, if you watch them every night, it does make sense. Because the two guards, Fournier and Walker, those two starters, are not giving them enough. And they have got to figure out a way to make a trade for somebody that will impact them at the one of the two. Because until they do, they're going to be in that middle-of-the-road type of team, playoff-wise, and that's not good enough. You know, now there's expectations for this team. And it's disappointing because I feel like the Fournier signing was not a good signing. The way he's looked right now, I I just am not impressed, really. You gave him $18 million a year. I mean, (laughs) Needs to be better than this. R.J. Barrett, he needs to be better than this. Julius Randle, he needs to be better than this. But kudos to the bench, because without the bench right now, the Knicks would be way under 500 and looking like a team that they've been, for the most part, the last 20 years. Now, if you look at the West as an example, look at the Warriors, 14-2 and right now. And this is without Clay Thompson. What are they going to do when he comes back? Even if he's 75% of what he was. The Warriors are in great shape. And it just goes to show you how phenomenal Steph Curry is. The man is unbelievable. And now, you know, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Transform if you talk about transformative players in the four major sports. You know, baseball's obvious as far as who transformed the game. That's that's an easy one. Babe Ruth. You know? The home run, he saved baseball at the 1919 Black Sox scandal. And he turned the home run into a thing. And was the first guy that would, I guess, so to speak, be the entertainer or knew that it was entertainment, that the game was entertainment. So that's an easy one. You know, hockey, you could probably go with Gretzky or Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr had quite an impact on the game of hockey, which a lot of people seem to overlook. But as a defenseman, the guy scoring over 100 points a season, you know, Gretzky did 200 points a season. So, I mean, I I would go with 1A, 1B between those two guys. Football would be a hard, harder question because you have to figure out, you know, offense and defense. Defense is easy. LT. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. LT changed the game, defensively speaking, because teams had to throw an extra offensive lineman in there or a tight end to block or whatever the case be, may be. You had to scheme to stop an outside linebacker from getting a sack against the quarterback. So that that's an easy one. Offensively, it's a little bit different because you have to consider the scheme that the, the team is playing. You know, Bill Walsh with the West Coast offense, That that's one thing that I, that I would 
considering all this, you know, Montana was the perfect guy for that uh, that offense that they had in San Francisco. A guy that was able to get out of the pocket. So I, he would be one of the guys, I would say, offensively. You know, it's got to be a quarterback, ideally. You figure for, for, for offense. Tom Brady is not a transformative quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback. So I, I you know... Offensively, is a lot more difficult. That would require some more uh, thought as far as that goes. But basketball, now we know the three-pointer has been around for about 40 years. But we have never, ever seen a guy like Steph Curry before. I mean, this guy, I mean, he's not shooting it from 23 feet 9 inches away. He's shooting it from 33 feet 9 inches away. And making it look like it's nothing. I mean, have you ever seen a guy shoot like him before? The answer is no. I mean, you know, in the 80s, you would say Larry Bird. The 90s and maybe early 2000s, you'd say Reggie Miller. And then going forward, you would say Ray Allen. These guys don't have anything on Steph Curry. Whatsoever, not a single thing on him. I mean, he is without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, and there's not even a close second in my opinion, really, as far as shooting, just pure shooting. He's transformed the game because now you gotta you gotta play a guy from 35 feet. You can't play him at starting at the three point line. You gotta go 10, 15 feet beyond that. So he he's unbelievable. I mean, you want to talk about a, bit, about a big man, and the big man's basically done now because you have no dominant big man anymore because these guys don't play in the paint. They play out in the perimeter. Carl Anthony Towns, all these different guys, they play out in the perimeter. They don't clog up the paint because the object now is penetrate, ship it out to a guy to shoot the three. That's what the game's about now. That's what makes Steph Curry even more unbelievable because... You're talking about a guy that, I mean, they know he's going to shoot. And it doesn't matter. He gets his shot no matter what. And it don't matter. I mean, you, as soon as he crosses that the half-court line, he's going to shoot. He doesn't care where he is. And he makes it. Swish. You know, if I were to think of a big man... That was a transformative player. I mean, it would have to be Chamberlain or Kareem. You know, Chamberlain, I mean, is basically the reason why they had a three-second rule instituted. Which they never call now, by the way. But then again, you know, who's in the lane now anyway, half the time? Everybody's sitting on the perimeter, so that's why they don't call it, really. Not that they ever did when the paint was clogged up more way back when. But Chamberlain or Kareem would be the guy at big man. You know, Kareem had the most unstoppable shot ever, the skyhook, which was unblockable, basically. You weren't going to block that shot, no matter what. If he wanted to shoot it, he was going to shoot it. It didn't care. He didn't care who you were. He was phenomenal. And obviously, Chamberlain, we know. I mean, look at his stats. I mean, that, that you know, his stats were ridiculous. 
But as far as a perimeter guy goes, Steph Curry's unbelievable. And as a Knicks fan, it's very aggravating because we were one pick away from getting him. And if we had him all these years, who knows what the Knicks would have done. So it's a real, you know, it's a real shot to the uh, solar plexus that uh, the Knicks didn't get him. But that team right now, they need to get their act together. I'm severely, I'm really disappointed in this team so far through 16 games. And as far as their schedule goes coming up, I'm not sure what they have. I'd have to take a quick look, but uh, let's see what they have their next 5-10 games as an example. So the Knicks are in Chicago tonight. That to me is a problem. They're going to probably lose because it's a back-to-back. And then they get the Hollywood Fakers, who is another team that is colossally disappointing so far. The Hollywood Fakers. You know, not for nothing. You look at the Knicks' schedule coming up, they may not win a game for a little while. At Chicago, home for the Hollywood Fakers, home for the Sunsets, at the Hawks, at the Nets, home for the Bulls, home for Denver. That's their next seven games. How many of those games are they going to win? How many of those games are you confident that they are going to win? The only game coming up they had, the game at the Denver, they're at San Antonio. And at Indiana and at Toronto. So the schedule obviously softens up a little bit. But the next seven games, they're in big trouble. Big, big trouble. That's why you couldn't lose those games at home to Orlando. That's why you couldn't lose to Toronto. So they got they got themselves some issues now. These next seven games are absolutely brutal. Maybe you split with Chicago. I don't see them beating the Lakers. I don't see them beating Phoenix. Atlanta's got their number, as we know. The Nets? Eh. Maybe they beat Denver at home. So if they go two and five in their next seven games, that puts them at eleven and twelve. And I'll tell you now, through 23 games, this team 11 and 12, disappointing. Very disappointing. Don't think they spent that money wisely in the offseason at all. Between Fournier and they gave Randall all this money, now you got yourself a problem. I mean, I, I, I got to say, at least with the front office... They're willing to make moves. Uh, you know, again, I, I got to see, we got to see an impactful guard in this team. And they do not have it right now. So I'm hoping that they, they get there, they get, they get it together and do something. Lillard's the guy. And I know he's on the wrong side of 30 right now, but he's still a superstar. Or at least he's a top, you know, 10 player in the league. You know, two, three years younger would be a big, big deal. But that's the kind of guy they need, though, to have a shot in the East. Because the East is good this year. And and they're not as good as these other teams are. They're just not. 
Got to see some more from the starting lineup going forward. And it starts tonight in Chicago. This is a game they they got to win this game, really. They won in Chicago earlier in the year. They got to figure out a way to win this one, too. Because it could go down south real fast for this franchise. And just when you thought that things were looking up, things could come crashing down really quickly with this team. If they don't start getting a starting lineup that produces from the one through the five. So in any case, I will be back on in a little bit to give my football picks for week 11. And we'll see what the Giants do this week in Tampa. We'll see what the Jets do today against the Dolphins. And I will have some things to say about the Joe Flacco move, which I think is obvious, pretty, obviously pretty bad, to say the least. So I'll be back on shortly to get my picks for the NFL. Everybody, I'll enjoy the Nick game tonight. And we'll see, obviously, what happens with the baseball lockdown situation going forward. Mets, as I said, signing Billy Epler to a four-year deal as GM. And again, that seems like a vanilla move to me, but it's all going to come down to who to get in free agency. And if they can make a trade or two here and there, they got to improve that offense. And they got to get themselves somebody to complement the Grom at the top of the rotation going forward. So I will be back on shortly. I will speak to you soon.